listening to JR Out Loud, the podcast for Jewish Renaissance magazine, offering a fresh perspective on Jewish culture. I'm Judy Herman. This morning, it's my complete delight to welcome Peter Tate. I would say a.k.a. Shylock, but you're a.k.a. an awful lot of other things. At the Playground Theatre, what is your title? Well, I founded the Playground Theatre and I'm now co-artistic director. Right. And as far as Shakespeare in Italy is concerned, which sounds so inviting and exciting. It's the conception of Mary Chater, ah. whose company it, it is. She originally, I mean, her and her husband had moved to Italy a number of years ago and took Shakespeare to Italy uh, near Gubbio. And they ran masterclasses there. Uh, for a number of years and had wonderful practitioners come out. And so this is this is their very first production. Right. And it's, well, I suppose it's the one to go for. I mean, uh, well, if you say which Shakespeare play is set in Italy, whatever else you're going to say, you are going to say The Merchant of Venice. So, um, the Merchant I, of Venice? Yeah. I suppose Othello is partially set yeah, in he, Venice, he does, but he, this one is entirely set. Exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't half get on that boat and get himself off to sight, but it's pretty well after the beginning. So, yeah, I would go with Thank this you. one myself. And lots has been written about it. That's, a, that's the understatement of the century, of, of four centuries, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it's been adapted in so many ways. It's been set in so many places, even in Las Vegas. So... That's correct. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so and of course we've had Shylocks now who are women, all of whom I have seen have been absolutely extraordinary, but none have been beard. Yeah. I have to say, you've got a beautiful white beard, which is a jolly good star. None of them have got one of <laughs> none of them have got one of those, Peter. So um, I do want to talk about the company. I really do, uh, but I do need to just clarify with you a little bit more about your. Your take. I mean, it's Bill Alexander's take, isn't it? He's a. a well, it is Bill. Bill Alexander. I mean, Bill has. This is the fifth time he's doing Merchant. Yeah, and I may have um, seen all, nearly all the others. I think. He, I think he's wonderful. So I'm very excited. In yeah, my, no, he's a lovely, lovely man. It's the first time I've worked with him, and he, did, of course, did a, a well-known Shylock uh, at, at Merchant at the RSC with mm. Anthony Cher. Oh, yes. And I think he also did it at the Birmingham Rep, where he was artistic director. So this is his fifth time, but this is a six-character version. Yes, that's what absolutely fascinated me, both yeah. the fact that it was only six characters and that yeah. it wasn't the six characters you might think of. I mean, Shylock's there, Jessica isn't, unless I've got that terribly wrong. But there, no, that's correct. Yeah, and I am guessing... That this character that Mary is playing is actually some sort of conflation of the various um, Solanios and Solarios, but I may be wrong. So, can you tell me a little no, bit? No, you're, you're absolutely correct. It's an amalgamation of three roles, uh, both men and women, and he's amalgamating them in, into the one role, Solania. So, there's Shylock, there's Antonio, of course, Portia, Bassanio, Graziano. And Solanian. So they're the six. Right. So I uh, I know it's a bit weird to start with Solanian, so I still want to know. So nobody is Jessica. 
No, there's nobody. There is there is a voice of Jessica, but we'd never see her. Right. Okay. That's what I wondered because I rather hoped he might love his daughter as well as anybody else. So I want you in a minute. I want you to tell me because we're talking. The whole version seems to be about the tortured nature of love. It says here at the inner core of the yeah. play. So yeah. So what I just wanted to talk about first is we don't have a servant either, do we, for Portia? So. That second love story is not quite there, then, is it? So, do you want to tell me which love stories are you focusing on to talk about the? Well, talk? Bassanio and Portia is the main is the main one. I mean, there's many forms of love in there. There's the kind of, uh, in a way, the tortured love that Solania has towards Antonio. Now, that you wouldn't know that because you don't know this version, but she's in love with Antonio. He, I suppose, he's kind of in love with. Bassanio, which is absolutely implicit. Um, and uh, I, who am I? Who's Shylock in love? Well, he's certainly in love with his daughter. And that's one of the big things in the play that when his daughter is whisked away by a Christian, it's like the last, it's the last piece that where his life becomes, you know, and that, that really turns him towards the exaction of the bond because he's been. He's lost his wife Leia, and then and then uh, they take they take his daughter, and have and I mean God, it's, it's, the play. You know, when I first read the play, this version, not being super familiar with the main version, you know, one does of course the first question that comes up is the the nature of anti-Semitism, of course, and then I said to myself that. Maybe you know Shakespeare was a great artist. Did he really mean that? I mean, of course he was speaking to he was speaking to his time, and of course Jews had been banished for a number hundreds of years from the UK, and deeply bedded within the Western psyche were all of these images, a lot related to money, all detrimental derogatory against the Jew. But then I'm, I start to think that all of the people in this play, the way they treat Shylock is quite unbelievable. And towards the end of play, when they're saying how wonderful a man Antonio is, et cetera, et cetera, it's hard to believe that an audience wouldn't see the huge hypocrisy of this in terms of the way he's treated Shylock earlier in the play. So I think that... Of course, Shakespeare did know some converted Jews because you, you couldn't really exist without it. Like Lopez, he probably maybe came across Lopez, the Queen's physician. Mm. And his father, I didn't realise, but his father was into usury as well. He, he lent money a number of times. What, Shakespeare's father? Shakespeare's father, Shakespeare's father ah, lent nice. money and he was actually fined three times maybe for this practice, which was not Christian. Wow, that is really interesting. I did not know that. Incredible. No, I, did, I didn't know it until recently, but that that puts a really another huge perspective on it and that he was familiar with money lending. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. So he may well have met Jews oh, I, himself. I, think, I mean, his father and, as well. Mm. Yes, I mean, I was recently on... I joined a Zoom call with Aviva Douch, the scholar. Aviva Douch is the executive director of Jewish Renaissance. 
Ah, oh, oh, there you go. Well, there yeah. you go. There you go. She knows her um, stuff. <laughs> she was, I mean, she gave, she was giving a, a talk on uh, Jews in Shakespeare. And of course, there are very, very, very few. Shylock and Tubal, maybe that's it. And she was saying, in her estimation, he absolutely knew a number of Jews, all converted, of course. But I, so I think that it's not... I mean, it's. I mean, God, it was Hitler's favorite play. You know, I mean, it was done maybe 12, 13, 14 times during his reign, and of course, it was heavily slanted. Uh, but I think there's enough in there to make one think that Shakespeare had deep sympathy for not only the Jews but the outsider, the alien, the one who's excluded from society, which which I kind of deeply connect to because I grew up in a very isolated world away from the world and because of what happened with my parents and their lives were kind of destroyed through, through things that happened. And so... What, through, through, was, you mean through the war? Or? Well, it was after, after the war, my father um, came to this country looking for a better life. He had a wife and child back in Cyprus. And then he met my mother, and um, she became pregnant. Uh, he didn't know what to do, so he married my mother, um, while still being married to the Greek wife. Oh, my goodness. And, and after, after two years, she came looking for him, because they had a, a son as well, found him. There was a trial at the Old Bailey, and he was put in prison for bigamy. Gosh. And... But also, my my English mother's parents were racists. So, so, you know, so the fact that their daughter was made pregnant by this dark, and he was quite dark, he was like an Egyptian peasant, very dark skin, you know, I mean, that just emphasized their racism. So, so I grew up in all of that background. So I deeply, I saw a man's life destroyed by racism. So I deeply, deeply understand that and I remember when I was 11 years old walking down Deptford High Street with an English friend saw my father in the distance and I took my friend and took him to the other side so that he wouldn't see my father you know so I was impregnated can I just say I can't I just, thank you so much for sharing that I'm guessing that you've shared it before many times but it yeah. it, it may be part of your, the way you come to terms with it but I think it's absolutely wonderful that you have shared it um, and, and just to get this straight, so he was actually Greek, Greek Cypriot, Greek, yeah, Greek, Greek Cypriot, Cypriot, right? So in fact, presumably yeah. a Christian. But um, I mean, well, Greek Orthodox. But I, mm. you know, you know, I can't say I have any religion. No, and no. Um, and after after I performed in Jerusalem a few years ago, which was an amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. But what made my blood boil was the tribalism of all of the religions. All of the main religions I saw there, just the tribalism. And I could deeply understand why this conflict hasn't hasn't been resolved, you know. Mm, yes, so, I, I know um, what you mean exactly. And Jerusalem is, I find, a very uneasy city to be in, and I do know what you mean. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, I, yes. I thought it was an incredible, yes, it's, I mean, just incredible. Absolutely. Very, incredible. very beautiful. But I like to share this, but there was one day I was recording in the streets, and I could actually hear Muezzin the church bells, and over the city, the helicopters, and I was walking past a Hader, a boys' school, 
it sort of said it in one in in one very small recording and one one rather big thought from me i and i think that does sum it up in a way i mean they were sort of coexisting but there were those helicopters overhead so, no, I know. Mm, I know. So, so anyway, yes, uh, we digress slightly. We're in Italy, really, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. mm. So it, I'm just loving, as I say, this idea of it being in Italy. I do want to go back to that in a minute, but I think we just have to sort out this love, um, love and hate. I suppose it's love and hate, isn't it? But you're trying to concentrate on the love. Is that right? Tortured nature yes. of love. Yes. I mean, actually, Shylock uses the word hate a number of times in reference to Christians, in particular Antonio, who treats him abominably, spits on him, kicks him, etc. So the word, love, I mean, certainly the word love comes up many times, and the word hate, yeah. And just whilst we're on the subject of love, I pretty well always cry when we get to that speech, that torturous me too, bar, where he learns that, uh, his precious turquoise ring has been sold by his daughter yes. when she's run away yes. and she's run away with Christian. She's nicked all his stuff. She's gone off with loads and loads of his treasure. But this is the treasure that matters. The turquoise yes. ring, which he had of Leo when he was a bachelor, his his, yes. his, his wife. And, and that's it's at the heart of the play for me. That is Shylock. And I, you yes. know, if I don't cry when I hear that, then something's gone wrong somewhere. Do you, oh, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I know you'll say it beautifully, but is that what you mean? Is that where we see the man as well? I mean, that sort of brings it into focus for me, the love. Where we see his love. love. Yes, I think that, of course, he does, earlier in the play, he does say to Antonio, I would love your friendship. And your love. He does, at one point earlier in the play, he says that to Antonio. And I think that, I mean, actually, earlier in the play, he, in lending this money to Antonio, he actually says at one point, I will I will give you this money and I will not charge you a weight of interest. So I think one of the things that came up for me early, early on when we were talking about this was the, the word of acceptance his need to be accepted, you know, and I can go back to my father, his, my father's need to be accepted into the society which he came to was, was immense because the pain of not being accepted meant forever he was isolated away from and his lifeblood was dead. So I think that, you know, Shylock does want he wants to be accepted for who he is. I mean, of course, the, the speech um, has not a Jew eyes and all of that, saying, I am like you. We are the same, you know, etc. So I think, yeah, that moment certainly about Leia and the ring, it's a, it's a fairly small moment in the play in terms of lines, but that is certainly a window to his soul, I suppose, for his his deep love. Um, and the fact that his daughter has taken this and sold it is just is too much for him. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a turning point, I think. So I've, can we talk about then the other loves in the play? Let's talk about Portia yeah. and Pisanio and the ones yeah. that sort of are affected by their love, the people who are affected by it. So it sort of radiates out from there because they are they are at yeah. the top of Venetian society, aren't they? So Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Portia, of course, has been left uh, this dowry um, from a very wealthy father, and there's three lockets, and the, the lucky man shall choose if he chooses the correct locket. I mean, uh, she talks about all the men have come who have come to woo her, and nobody, but nobody has hit the spot for her, except this one man she remembers, Bassanio, who she'd met when he came to visit with somebody else, and she still remembers him like there could be something special there. Um, and so it turns out to be eventually through all the machinations of the play, you know, the ring and um, uh, Portia's ring and him giving away to the doctor who's come to um, adjudicate this trial. And of course, it's the same person, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, eventually they come together. And I think they, throughout the play, by the end of the play, they reach because of everything, they, they reach a kind of understanding and you feel that this has a chance mm -hmm. of being a deep and true love. Yeah, I, I'm interested that you say that um, because the ring thing, I mean, I, I wonder whether Shakespeare had picked it up from somewhere else and put it in the play, but it's an extraordinary thing yeah. because you wouldn't have been able to do it if there hadn't been a trial. I mean, Portia wouldn't have been able to That's go right. off and be... You know, there's this wonderful idiotic Shakespearean thing that you can put on men's attire and immediately um, even your your husband won't recognise you. Which I, you know, so, I know. I mean, <laughs> that is that is. Yeah, no, I have mentioned this. I have, <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's it's true. It's absolutely true. I mean, the only one who actually, I believe, has met well, Graziano has met her with Bassanio. So those two have met her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a point. Why wouldn't they pick up that this is one and the same? But and, know, and then what we about, have to accept they don't. Yeah, and what about Nerissa's ring? I mean, Nerissa is the waiting gentlewoman, which is a very important yeah. thing to be. It's, it's not just a maid. It's something very a confidant, right. isn't it? No, she, she is Portia's waiting gentlewoman. Graciana's fallen head over heels in love with her, but we're not going to meet her, are we, in this no, we're, we're, we're not, that's no, not in the no. But nonetheless, that's another pair. We've got another, so we've got two pairs where the new husbands don't recognise their wives in any way whatsoever. Quite extraordinary, but, yeah. but very yeah. Shakespearean. I mean, it's just the comedy of errors all over again, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So are you actually bringing it to the... You say here, in your publicity, the blackly comic world of a modern Venice. So tell me about it being modern Venice, then. Well, it is... You're, it is modern. It is, I mean, there are mobile phones. In oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, oh, wonderful. I wondered, I wondered how you were going to react. To it, I think but, it's really funny because you're, it's the zeitgeist, yeah. unfortunately. So do they all wander around doing that thing like zombies looking at their phones? No. I know. I mean, it's, Good. <laughs> it's um, when I speak to Tubal, yeah. Tubal is not there on stage. Mm. It's done oh, right. through a, a, a phone call. It's a phone call, and it's a phone call. I know, I know. But you you don't hear Tubal. It's all me responding right. to, 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 to Bal. And she, well, I shouldn't give too much away. No, no, it, no. But... I'm just saying, you know, how do we solve the problem of only having six actors? We have mobile phones. What the hell? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, I, think, I think Bill's done a, 
a very good job of adapting because he's like. adapted it as well. I know. And of course, yeah. he knows the play superbly. And he did say that if I never have to direct Gobbo again, I'd be very happy man. Ah, so he's not in it, obviously. Nobody's. No, 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 no. What I mean is, I know I can see he's not there as a written down character, but you never know if one of yeah. the other characters is suddenly going to take on his characteristics or something, like Solania. Yeah. So, we'll t tell me about hearing Jessica then. Or is that too much? You don't, if you don't want to give too much away, don't tell me. But no, gonna... no, 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 no. There is a live voice, but not see. But no mm. human being is seeing. Right. So and there is a live voice. So it's a seventh off stage. So it's not one of the actors. It's a seventh voice. Well, it it, it is one of the actors, but it's it's one of the understuff voices. Okay, so they're there anyway. Well, that's lovely that they get a chance to do something. I think that's brilliant. Well, they're also understudying, you know, mm. most of the roles. So, you know, and, and they've actually had a rehearsal mm. or rehearsals with mm. Bill. So that's lovely. I'm sure they'd be terrified if they had to go on at little notice, mm. as I did many years ago at the National. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell uh, me. <laughs> I had about three hours notice to go on for a leading role opposite Alan Bates. And I went on and... It's fine. They didn't even rehearse me the next day. So there mm. you go. Oh, well, you probably got wonderful reviews and standing ovations, I hope. What was the play? Uh, well, I don't know about that. What was the play? It's called Yonadab. Oh, I saw that. Yonadab is Hokom Ma. Well, I would You probably saw it in the beginning. I went on for about four months after the opening because mm. Lee Lawson, who I was under... Because mm. it was my first job when mm. I came back from America because wow. I lived in New York. <laughs> Uh, where I met Naomi, actually. So, yeah, so I was understudying Lee Lawson, and I went on opposite the wonderful Alan Bates, uh, who was a lovely, lovely man. Mm. Uh, oh, yes. No. Lovely man. Yeah. Yes, Na Naomi Sorkin, your wife, that's got her, that's yes. her, her performing name, is her stage name. Yeah, and that's we, right. Well, yeah. We were all just, well, I at least, and, and my husband and everybody else in the theatre were thrilling to her playing Ida Rubenstein, this wonderful dancer and all around influence. I'm going to call her an influencer. I mean, she was like the first yes. influencer, wasn't she, <laughs> really? She was, was yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and mm. Naomi's, you know, they're working on taking it to other places now. So, good, yeah. good. Okay, so is there more to say about this adaptation and more about this getting, calling? You've got a lot of support. You've gone and talked to Ian McKellen, um, Dame Judi Dench, and Rafe Fiennes is actually patron of the new charity of um, Shakespeare in Italy. But you are wanting to do this one in Italy? Well, yes, there is a lady in Milan who um, actually brings over English-speaking mm. theatre to Milan, and she's quite associated with Shakespeare in Italy, and she is she will be coming to see it, and it will be fantastic to, mm. and quite a natural progression to do it in Italy. Yes, it's a wonderful idea. That would be idea. lovely. Absolutely wonderful. So how does this stand in relation to the Playground Theatre? Uh, this is its launch pad. Yes, it's their, it's their first production. I mean, um, Bill had been to the Playground before the first lockdown to do workshops on Merchant of Venice. Mm. And um, in the summer, they came to do a whole week of Shakespearean workshops with people like Lucy, Bailey, etc. And... So, so it, it's the kind of third time they're coming to the playground, but this is their first actual production. And Bill, Bill uh, loves the space, so he's very happy to be there. And um, yeah, yeah. And so you like to be known as a local theatre. So, are you going? Is it going to be popular with your local patrons? I mean, it's actually quite. Use, is it useful for schools, for example? Do you think? Yes, I mean, we are doing 
two, maybe three, but definitely two schools matinees where schools are coming down to, and so we're doing Thursday matinees oh, for schools. Mm. So they're not they're not on sale to the general public. These are just for schools. Oh, that's very. And that'll good. be that'll be interesting to yes. see their their reaction. And are they actually studying this play at the moment? That it seems to yeah, be. Yeah, not... I mean, I, I think yeah, I think one of the reasons they're coming is because it's mm. on the curriculum. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they'll understand that it's a very different take. I hope they will because. It... Yeah, no, mm. absolutely. Well, if they know if they know the original, they'll certainly <laughs> see very quickly that this mm. is not the original. Yes, yes, but I think it's retained. Hopefully, it's retained the essence of what mm. of what Shakespeare was writing. Yes. Um, Actually, we don't need to go on too much longer. I know time is of the essence for you. I've got to go to the playground now. So you're at home now, and then you've got to get there. Do you, do you live very far from it? No, no. I mean, 30-minute walk or, you know, 10-minute drive. Mm. Oh, I'm just saying, you know, you practically need to live over the shop with this one, don't you? <laughs> I mean, if it's your baby. It is my baby, mm. yeah. Mm. I didn't realise when I started the theatre, because I had it as a development studio for many, many years where... You know, we had 50 to 60 artists each year come down and really play, really play and develop work. And but then about six, seven years ago, I decided to create a theatre without knowing what it entailed. But if I'd have thought too much about it, I probably wouldn't have done. <laughs> they all but, say uh, that. I'm very happy, very mm. happy. Mm. But it's lovely that it's a project that you can work on with your wife as well, isn't it? I mean, that must be a big thrill. Well, yeah, I mean, Naomi, I think because that's maybe the second time, Ida was the second time she's been at the playground. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's lovely having one's own theatre. You know, what, to a certain extent, one is in control of one's artistic uh, journey. And that's, you know, having worked in as an actor within the system, etc. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm very much an independent, so... This kind of suits my nature. What can I say? Yes, no, well, I can sort of tell that. I love it when at the beginning of a play, because I've been to several of your productions, you, you, you usually are there to welcome people, and sometimes you yeah. say something at the beginning, and that's really beautiful, actually. Yeah, between myself and Anthony, Anthony Biggs, who's mm. my co artistic director, we're usually there. I mean, not every night, but you know, we do what we can. We want to welcome people, you know, it's not. The, the the people that come through our doors are our lifeblood. So it'd be very stupid not to no, that's put true. it that way. But I think I think that having said that, I don't I don't think I we do it in any calculating way. It's just I'm a very welcoming guy. What can I say? Um, no, uh, that's really beautiful. You, I, I would have stopped there, except you just mentioned one of my favourite features, physical features of the Playground Theatre, which is the doors. You've just said through the door. Yes. You have got these magnificent doors that you, I mean, you yeah. can get a crick in your neck looking up to the top of these beautiful doors that I lead know. into the theatre. And I think, was it Naomi was instrumental in getting them anyway? Tell the story of the doors, because the doors are. Yeah, the doors. Um, they're 18th century French, obviously part of a. Grand Chateau, I'm sure at one point, or a beautiful, incredible Parisian house. Um, Naomi also has done some interior design, and one of her clients, an actress actually called Lindsay Baxter, she was designing her place in mm. Belsky's Park. She found these doors, but after a time, Lindsay ran into a little bit of financial difficulty and said, would you be interested in buying the doors? And we said, yes. And she said, how much were they? And we said 500 pounds, uh, which was a snip. And 
Oh, she said, well, if they're only that, I, I won't sell them. So I wrote an email. By then, I had we had created the opening to include those doors, oh, right. anticipating, <laughs> in, anticipating that she would give them to us. And then after two weeks, she wrote back and said, well, you and Naomi have been so inspirational. This is what she, I'm not making this much to to me. I gift you the doors. So that they were a gift from Lindsay Banks. Oh, that's beautiful. Have you got a plaque saying that? You need to have, really. I mean, they are yeah. special. I mean, if, if I think people should be tempted to come to the theatre anyway for, for lots of other reasons. Just to see the doors. But I'm just going to say, here is the way, you know, you can't, you have to come into this theatre because those doors are something else. They really are. Yeah. Now, yeah. Just, yeah. just before we finish then, what do you want people to get, or do, to get out of this production? Well, I think that, you know, because I have a uh, deep interest in, I suppose, exclusion, isolation, racism, excluding people because of the colour of their skin, their religion, whatever. And I'm ve- I personally am very, very sensitive to, if I see someone on the outside, my absolute instinct is to bring them in and welcome them because I understand deeply what it means to be excluded. So I would like, I suppose the thing I would like most out of this play is to people to to, to realize what racism can do and how it separates us. And it, it is nothing to do with being part of the same family. We're all part of the the same family. So I would like people to realize the the ugliness of racism and to maybe open the door to saying, well, if they are, if I am a racist, maybe I'll try to understand. I mean, it often comes from a lack of understanding of other people's cultures, of the way other people act, their right to have their religion, their thoughts, that, that are different from ours. So it, I would love that, that, I mean, I remember years ago, I was in a play called Short Eyes, which by Miguel Pinero, and it's about a child molester, which is, again, mm. yeah, no, it's a it's mm. a horrible subject, but I played the child molester, Gosh. and it had an eight-page monologue of, of what he did, and it was horrible, but... My, my task as an actor was trying to open the doors of people's understanding so that they weren't going to condemn the way people condemn if you're a Jew, if you're a black man, you know, whatever. And, and just hopefully, if anything, it will, it will maybe a few people, it might shift. I mean, let me hope that there'll be some racists come down to the play. <laughs> okay. I mean, we don't want to preach to the converted. Oh, that's very interesting. So just, just very quickly, we haven't really so much discussed. When you are playing Shylock, what are your feelings then? You know, they are this, you want to be doing this reaching out, you are being rejected. Yeah. Do we see the court, well, the court scene? Do we see the scene in the trial? You know, do we see that Antonio's trial? Do we see that? Yes, we see, we see, we see that. Uh, yeah, we do see that. I suppose overall for Shylock, he has his own dignity which is denied him throughout the play i mean he as i said he's spat on he's kicked he's you know in venice they they had when they went outside the ghetto which they were locked into every night they had to come out with a 
very much in Nazi, you know, they had to come yeah. out with a red hat to designate them as a Jew. So like a yellow so, star. And I think that his need to be accepted for who he is beyond what they, what they put on him is so great. But of course, it never happens in this play. And he, the man is destroyed by, by racism. He's destroyed and he's denied his, he's denied his humanity. And, and then, you know, I suppose people ask why he's so vehement about having his bond to take the pound of flesh. But he is pushed so far. And he says that. He says that in the play, you know, so that's my take on Shylock. That's my 10 pennies worth. And um, yeah, so I mean, look, we've had three weeks of rehearsal. For my mind, it's not enough time uh, to because the the detail, you know, in, in a modern play, you can kind of get a, but in detail and build very hot on the, you know, the rhythms, missing any words. So personally, I would have liked another week. That would be that would have been. Perfect, but I don't live in an ideal world. Um, so all I do know is that there's still many things still popping out mm. in my search for Shylock. So Peter Tate, aka Shylock, for the next few weeks. I wish you everything you wish for yourselves with this production. I can't wait to see it, and I thank you very much for joining me today, especially when you must be super busy just doing your previews. So thank just you. Just a little. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Judy. You've been listening to JR Out Loud. For more podcasts and info about our events, magazine, and features, head to Jewishrenaissance.com.